Welcome to Arts Monday Simpoesis on ESL Radio 89.7 FM. This program takes place on the Gerigal land of the Eora Nation, traditional custodians of this land, and I pay my respect to the elders, past, present, and those yet to come. be with you for the next hour and a half, talking to artists and writers whose works take inspiration from the natural world, contribute to the dialogue on climate change, and look at the ways to raise environmental consciousness. For the next couple of weeks, we'll be focusing on poetry, and with me in the studio today will be Lucia Moon, an Italo-Australian writer living on the Gerigal land. Lucia is a regular reader at venues around Sydney and in the written form her works can be found in Riverstone, Sydney Review of Books and LOR Journal. Lucia's writing is playful, ecological and queer. She holds a Master's of Research in Poetics and works for an environmental NGO. Many, if not all, of her poems fit into the genre of eco-poetry, and this morning on Eastside she will be reading a selection of those for us. In between her readings, we will be in conversation, unpacking the process behind writing each, as well as her overall working methodologies. Stay tuned to Eastside FM for poetry reading and conversation with Lucia Moon. Lucia, good morning and thank you for joining us on Eastside this morning. Very happy to be here, Monday morning. Monday morning. What are Monday mornings usually like in your life? Uh, well, usually I'm heading off to work and I feel like no matter how chilled out my Sunday evening is, I still feel a bit stressed on Monday. I guess it's just the anticipation for a very busy week, mm. but not working today, so a bit different. And when it comes to weekends, you mentioned chilled Sunday nights. Um, how do you detox from the week? What do you do to go outside of the city? I know you love being in nature. That's why I'm asking how often do you incorporate it in your life? Um, I do love going out in nature. I guess at the moment, it's not that I'm going out all the time, though, though I do make sure I'm walking around a lot even just in the city like walking through parklands areas like that it's quite soothing um i have to make sure also that i do a fair amount of exercise to wind down and i do like going swimming even when it's cold sometimes i'm going swimming like at little bay places like that mm. Mm. 
You mentioned walking. Lots of writers that I speak to and creatives in general speak about walking as a moment or moments when they feel inspired to create things, when the ideas come and percolate in their head. Yeah. Is this what happens to you? Yeah, walking is definitely a central part of my writing practice. It seems to put me in a very kind of dreamy and open mind space where I, I think there's this element of movement on the outside but it sort of travels inward and I find that my mind can travel and drift absorb and think but in quite a relaxed way so that ideas come quite organically mm. Um, mm. what do you do then when the idea comes in the midst of a walk do you have a notepad in your pocket or do you write them down on your phone how do you preserve them I usually carry, yeah, um, a lead pencil is very <laughs> important to my practice. Um, a lead pencil, a notebook, and sometimes I use my phone as well. But I find if I, um, usually the first thing I think of is one one line or a phrase which is stuck in my head or kind of beautiful and alluring and... I try not to actually write it down straight away. I quite like holding it in my head and thinking on it and walking and slowly teasing it out to see what comes. As soon as I put on the page, it can create a bit of pressure or like, mm -hmm. where's the next bit? I like to sort of, yeah... Um, visualize it almost first <laughs> and you're not afraid that you might lose it um i guess that's why it's so nice to spend the time with it so it's not lost yeah it's kind of becomes like a mantra which leads into the next almost like song yeah hmm. tell me more about that <laughs> almost like song or a mantra um well i think like the the written word and the page is very important to my writing but I guess poetry for me is also quite vocal and performative and heard and it's also all the sounds of everything that I hear as I'm walking or even in my room like distant sounds like a car door closing or a, a child running down the street laughing things mm -hmm. like this the rain um and so so yeah uh it's almost like the resonance of the sounds are quite inspiring and it's nice in that way to start a poem in this kind of like audio-visual <laughs> way. Mm. Yeah. But I do like also starting with the page. I think it's less common though. Less common? Less common for me. Mm. Mm. And you're mentioning page, you have mentioned pen, so I will assume that you write in a notepad rather than computer, laptop, digital. I use both, mm, both, and I think it kind of affects the way the poem is formed. Um, yeah, but I think I really like using a lead pencil and paper. It almost gives it this, like, studious very much like attention to detail quality and I feel like I can spend time like editing changing shifting things mm -hmm. but I do also like sitting down in front of a computer particularly if I've been dwelling on something in my mind for a while and very slowly forming it 
on the page. It's almost like easier to visually see it. Mm-hmm. Um, on computer? On computer, mm-hmm. yeah. Because you can like in real time remove and... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, one poet I spoke to a couple of years ago, Kaya Ortiz, she said how she uses both as well and the page and the paper is useful when she wants to unblock the writer's block because it can be messy and she can edit and cross and do you resonate with that yeah definitely if I'm lacking inspiration or um yeah I haven't got any lines or ideas sometimes it's good to just sit down with a piece of paper and start like word vomiting (laughs) (laughs) writing and the ideas might form from the flow of writing, which is almost like walking, but in in the mind. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, taking a walk on a page. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, messy, me- meandering kind of walk. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Mm. I am the kind of person that is very particular with the notepad that I can write in that feels... I don't know, there are certain notepads that just um, restrict me or uh, I just don't feel inspired when I have them. Are you particular about it? Like if somebody was buying you a birthday present and it's a notepad, what would be a good choice? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I am particular. I think for a long time I have used various forms of moleskins um, and this other, I actually can't remember what it's called, but this German wider form of notebook. But I feel like... While I'm particular, it then changes. Like a few weeks later, I might want to write, be writing in like a really tiny notebook, which I quite like as well. The size of the page, the the texture, it really like plays a part in how your ideas form. Mm. Mm. And n- lately, I also like just having a big A4 page spiral lined, almost like a school exercise book. Right. And that can be quite conducive yeah these are the ones that i stay away from right i can see how because i have stayed away from them so long they could actually now have an inspirational effect because it would be complete novelty Mm -hmm. Um, because i always have the same looking one without lines a5 oh yeah yeah thicker paper as well Mm, nice cardboard Um, and what about the environment that you like writing in what is around you what surrounds you in the ideal environment that's like inspirational what would that be would it be a view through the window or you know Mm. the space without sunlight or something like that Uh, um yeah definitely being really immersed in nature brings out a lot of ideas for me and not necessarily always like directly about the nature that I'm in but just recently for example I went up to the northern rivers and I'd been in Sydney and I live kind of like Newtown area for so long it was such a relief to be out somewhere in almost like a semi-rainforest environment Mm -hmm. and it, it just feels like it opens the mind up and yeah ideas are more fluid so yeah lots of trees and like maybe a a a nice breeze um (laughs) birds and I also really like riding late at night in my bedroom though that's actually in the city particularly um there's this kind of like calm space before I sleep where I write a lot in like a lamp lit room Mm. 
Mm. Does it keep you awake then? In the sense that if you start percolating ideas late at night, that you might not be able to fall asleep as easy. Yeah. Um, I I love riding on that cusp of sleep, and often I'll come to like a tiredness and fall asleep. But I, it is quite likely I'll wake up later with ideas. But I'm not a very good sleeper anyway, so I um have kind of decided that if I'm awake because I'm writing, that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely using time in some way, although not using time is also good, mm. not having that pressure that time needs to be used all the time productively. Mm. You're on ESAD Radio 89.7 FM. This is Arts Monday Symposis, where we talk about art and environmentalism. And our guest in the studio today is writer, poet Lucia Moon, who has selected a number of her poems for us this morning. We might get through about six or seven or maybe less of them. We'll see how we go. Lucia, what guided your uh, selection? I think I was thinking about the title of your radio show, Symposis, which means making with um but yeah i was thinking about then eco eco poetics in general and um this sense of making with all the beings on earth mm-hmm. um yeah but a, f- a few other factors influenced it like one of the poems i really recently wrote and it's on themes i've been thinking about a lot um yeah i don't know i just curated a little selection that seemed was it an easy task to do to pick up six out of your poems or did that take some deep serious thinking no it wasn't too difficult no i think there's like poems i'm leaning toward at this moment which resonate mm-hmm. with me and yeah mm-hmm. so first one uh, that you have for us is titled after thinking like a mountain is there anything you would like to say about that one before we hear it or would you prefer to read it first and then discuss? I'll just say that it's titled After Thinking Like a Mountain because it's actually a response to a book which is called Thinking Like a Mountain. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll a read book, it. Is that a book of poetry or prose? No, it's a book of prose, although it's a very um, unusual kind of book. They're almost like little essays, meditations, um, and written by diverse activists and ecologists in Australia and America. Yeah, Let's hear it after thinking Like a Mountain by Lucia Moon on ESA Radio. It all turns back into matter, reintegrating, scary, a lack of consciousness. Or conscious everywhere, lighter elements float to the surface, forming a granite crust. Selfhood, chiseled from the bevel in the cup, the twisted fig, metallic and fired, erupting, Till four billion years ago, when the temperature dropped and it began to rain. I guess it is like drinking water. We fall asleep on the axis of the sun, awaking refracted in shreds of soil, humming across a human network embedded in every other one.
guess it's like drinking water. Tell me a bit more about that line. What was the thought process behind it? Well, this poem, I guess there's like an element to it that's a meditation on on death. And it actually comes from this kind of reckoning with the fear and unknown surrounding it. But then I reach this sort of, I guess, somewhat peace. And I'm actually thinking about that in that line, what's it like to die? And I think... I guess it is like drinking water, <laughs> which to me, water, you know, it's central to life. Water is life force. Mm. Um, which would then be like not drinking water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that there's so much like celebration and joyousness of life and so much uncertainty and like nothingness surrounding the idea of death but if we start to think about it in this way that's like enriching and a, a similarly important phase as being born like coming as going mm. clean and refreshing like water <laughs> yeah mm. your poetry is I mentioned at the beginning of the show often fits, if not always, in this genre of eco-poetry. And there are evocations of space and nature in this one as well. You speak about it being inspired by contemplations around the death and reflection on death, but do you also see this poem as fitting the eco-poetic? Yeah, d definitely. Um I think, like, eco-poetry at its core is kind of like thinking about the world in terms of interconnectedness between all. Mm -hmm. And even in the end of this poem, this, like, human network embedded in every other network that there is. Mm -hmm. It's this image of, um, yeah, Earth, but even maybe beyond Earth of some kind of, like, ever responding and touching network of beings and mm. we also spoke a bit about the way that you go around crafting your poems we spoke about mediums that you use for writing and how when you write on page it can be messy and then you need to edit so i'm wondering how many drafts do you go through to write a poem like this which seems very concise in many ways not word heavy um, do you start your process by really kind of, you know, a lot of messy, heavy stream of consciousness and then you chip through to cut out all the excesses? Mm. For my own practice, I actually find if I'm in the right kind of headspace and I've been dwelling on it for some time, for example, this poem, I was reading the book and while I'm reading, I guess I'm percolating. And in some way, I'm already beginning the mm. idea formation, the editing. Mm. If I then begin to write, particularly in that space before sleep, which is like calm, slow, intuitive, the first version that I put on paper will arise quite slowly and steadily, but almost as it ends up finished, with some edits after, but it would probably be few words mm. um i don't think 
think I used to write like that. I think it was a lot messier, maybe a lot more words put on the page and heavy editing afterwards. That's how my early poems were formed. I feel like a lot of my practice has been about trying to cultivate this like inner space where I'm sort of doing that before it's actually on the page. Mm. And how do you cultivate that inner space? You mentioned intuition as well. How do you cultivate that? Um, I guess it's getting to know yourself and taking care of yourself and, yeah, giving myself the time to be very internal, deep and intuitive outside of, like, the capitalist rat race that we're living in Mm -hmm. so yeah it's a lot of as we were talking about before those same kind of things spending time in nature quiet time alone listening but of course seeing friends and so on I think it's about care and yeah I don't know it's like growing a garden Mm. yeah I'm really curious about this uh, dichotomy, if it is dichotomy between solitary time that a writer needs and also you mentioned the need for community and being surrounded with people. And as a writer, you are also participating in lots of reading sessions within the community of other poets and writers and, and listeners. So I'm interested in how important is it for you to actually speak your poems out to others and receive feedback or engagement with your work that then filters back into the next poem or or your practice. It's really beautiful to read poems to people and at events. Um, Yeah, it definitely has that vital component of community, listening, sharing, feedback. Mm it's almost like the final or not the final but like yeah an important phase of the whole poetic process it's interesting the way people receive poems is often different to how you might intend it but it's all valid and yeah worthwhile to listen to Mm. Mm. Is it at any times disappointing when they take it completely? Because, I mean, (laughs) even with this one, I have to say, the one you just shared with us, I would have not picked that it was about death. Mm. Um, And maybe, yes, if I read it many times and spend a lot of time contemplating, but is it disappointing for you to hear that that didn't come maybe across to me or hasn't crossed my mind? No, not at all. I, I would be interesting, uh, interested to hear what your take on it was. That's mm-hmm. always really interesting to me because I find then that I learn more about the text that I have kind of created but is also open to so many interpretations. Like the reader themselves becomes part of the creative process by what they draw from mm-hmm. this like now artefact. Mm. And another thing that I experience when reading poetry is that I'm less focused or concerned or even kind of blocked by this need to cognitively understand the poem and I'm just led by this feeling that it leaves, which is very, um, I don't know if it's sensorial, but it's definitely a sort of resonance rather than searching for meaning or understanding yeah, I, I love that. I think that's, for me, that's what 
yeah, the the poem, the poem is there for to to create feeling, and it doesn't really, you know, whatever you thought this was like technically about or what I say it's about, it doesn't even matter exactly what you say. It's the feeling that it creates, and I feel like those feelings resonate through many different readings and that feeling will be lasting but also changing and growing as long as it's doing something (laughs) Mm. the next poem that you have chosen for us this morning is called Audrey is that the one that's next on your page Mm -hmm. anything you would like to share about that one before we hear it or should we listen and discuss after what's what's your preference how much context do you like to give around your poems i think i usually like to read and then give context because yeah nice to just create the effect before i try to dictate it Mm. (laughs) okay well let's hear lucia moon reading her poetry here on east side fm Audrey and I were huddled in a mound on the daybed, wooden cushions. Audrey smoking. Well, are you coming? Jut demanded, clutching Henny Penny, lovely fat old bird. Unwell though, sporadic and morose clucking. Few onlookers, Cassie, sage burning. Audrey dusted off her calloused hands, swiftly, short and robust. March to Jut, and the log, where the sacrifice was to happen. Held the chook, firm and loving around feathered breast, head and beak hanging to one side, or held breath. Audrey spoke, Henny Penny, old bird, goodbye, darling, you've been great. The pain will disappear soon. Resigned brown eyes, comb and wattle, Gently flapped in marsh breeze. Audrey paused. A moment. Still. Then her hands worked in one swift twist. Crack! The neck broke. In figure eight. The hen's neck flipped. Dead. A minor melancholy. On Audrey's face. All breathed out. As she carried the hen to her resting place. A dugout hole behind the kale patch. I never saw such strong hands, wired with sinew, kitchen burns, ribbons of muscle up the forearms, who played catgut in the late afternoons, life giver and death. This one almost has a narrative structure, a retelling of an event, a diary entry or something like that. If you were to compare the style of this one to the previous one, Mm -hmm. what would you say? 
Yeah, definitely that. This one's much more narrative-based. Mm. It's like telling a story, um, but also quite playful and, to me, hopefully somewhat humorous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm also noticing, and you spoke about um, sounds often being inspiration in your works, and um, there seems to be a lot of evocation of the sense of hearing in in your poems, like crack open straight away. I'm hearing the sound of that action when, yep. when you insert things like that. And I think in, in one uh, other poem that you will be reading, it has a line, as we will hear later, like ripe sugar peas, we pop in spring. Again, just gives the sense of sound. Mm. Is this uh, multi-sensorial experience something that defines as well eco-poetry in ways because it puts us in touch with our bodies and embodied feelings when we read? Um, Yeah, definitely. I think sound and listening is important to uh, the concept of eco-poetry. Yeah, and I think you're right. There is some kind of like connection to body, earthliness, yeah, and resonance mm. with everything around. And also getting us out of our heads, which we are in most of our time, into the body, because to be in the body is to be interconnected with all the other bodies around us, human and non-human mm. elements around us. To feel rain on the skin is different than to contemplate rain from sitting inside. Yeah, totally. And to feel similar to everything that's around to feel similar with the rain or the insect yeah exactly to be amongst it rather than separate from it or trying to change it or trying to kind of like dominate it Mm. you work for an environmental ngo so i'm wondering whether your work inspires your writing in any way the things that you come across in that sector in terms of eco-poetic Um, so the, the NGO that I work for is actually mainly focused on like rubbish and waste, Mm -hmm. recycling and thinking about things like packaging on a massive scale and, um, trying to work towards some kind of like circular economy where everything gets turned into something else. And in an ideal world, there's no landfill. Um, so yeah. I think those ideas are very central to kind of like eco thinking. I also want to say that like eco poetic or eco critical thinking mm-hmm. and the the ideas that it kind of like aspires to are largely informed by indigenous cultures. Like this is not n- new um, yes. thought. This has been practiced by. First Nations people for millennia and um, I think eco-poetics strives to bring awareness to to a return to listening to those cultures which have always like perpetuated living in this harmonious sense of interconnectedness. Um, I've forgotten your question. No, you're (laughs) answering my question perfectly. Uh, It was about whether, you know, working in the environmental NGO uh, inspires your work. And now that you mention the interconnection between eco-poetic and indigenous, Michael Eichin, who I believe you know, who runs the Garden Lunch in Newtown, he was here a couple of years ago and he was reading some of his eco-poetry and we were talking about eco-poetry as a genre. 
and he mentioned how eco comes from the Greek word meaning home so it's often a reflection of a place that we live in and then he said how we can't really speak about eco-poetry without reflecting on colonialism and yeah. our relationship to this land and then just to add to that I um, read the thing that you wrote for Sydney review of books where you speak that you feel a sort of discomfort in your relationship to Bush which is both a contested space a bounded space, and then also an engrossing and soothing space. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, as a... Well, I'm like a, I guess, descendant of European migrants. Yeah, living on what is stolen land that has a basis in violence to form the societies that we live in. There's definitely discomfort there. Same with bush as this amazingly soothing place that i love to be there's so much history there that has been covered up but you know as writers or artists or anyone living in australia or on colonial lands i think that poetry can play like a really important part in doing some of that work of listening to the stories that have always been here and it's not just about you know the animals and the trees but the people who have always lived here and who know so so much about country mm. Mm. now that you mention this i guess power or potential of poetry Another thing that I really, really loved in what you wrote in the Sydney uh, Review of Books is you spoke about this potential of language to make change and you write in reflection to uh, the book called Earth Dwellers by Kristen Lang how she demonstrates the complicity of language in severing the earth from ourselves. Historically, language has destroyed, you say, but our tongues can heal as much as they have harmed Language here is an act of care. Poetry is an act of care. Mm, yeah. Yeah, language, even like with things as early as, you know, like the Bible, I guess, where there's this like separation of man from um, nature. But yeah, in everyday language as well, it, it can cover up and it can create distance but, yeah, there's such potential there to uh, subvert and play and love through language and listening to other languages and um, mm -hmm. learning other languages. <laughs> yeah, which is another thing that I really wanted to talk to you about, uh, given that you are bilingual and you have studied literature, English lit literature and Italian, um, mm -hmm. and you have um, Italian background, um, so you speak fluent Italian. Yeah, I'm curious if that gives certain richness to the way you approach language, to the way that you can think about artificiality of language even, because I guess when we speak other languages, we realize that the world is the way we see it really based on the language that we speak, the mm. words that were given to us. Yeah. And once we know that, we know that we can break that as well, deconstruct it completely. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I think language definitely plays a part in the way I think and play with words. I will say that 
yes, I am Italian background, but I actually didn't grow up speaking Italian. And it was a very considered effort to uh, firstly begin learning it while I was here, but then basically to take myself back to Italy and spend years traveling and living there. To um, Because as soon as I start to learn this language of my roots, I feel an opening and expanding of my mind, but also a returning to culture and not just self, but yeah, community and exactly as you say, it changed my outlook considerably. It really opened, opened me up. And after that, then dabbling in other languages, it all just seems to grow and grow. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's an incredible lens to play and view with the world. Yeah. Mm And in terms of poetry as opposed to prose, when, when it comes to environmental issues, when you can choose to write an essay or a prose or a poem mm-hmm. to speak of them, what draws you to poetry? What can poetry do that maybe, um, or allows you to do that maybe these other forms don't? Or mm. um, Well, I guess first and foremost, I think... I would I would distinguish like my poetry as even though it can be called eco-poetic it's not like I'm sort of writing it with the direct intention of like influencing one political environmental happening like it's different even to say slam poetry which is very outwardly political this poetry is definitely political um in some way but its first role is to exist as poetry mm. rather than an environmental protest. It's a, it's a poem and its like aesthetic nature might have some sway on the way we think and view, but it's less political and more playful and artistic or something. <laughs> I'm not sure if that answers your question. No, it does. Mm. We'll hear another poem from Lucia Moon here on Eastside FM. Human kindness is overflowing, and I think it's going to rain today. Raining relief. Calcium knots split open. Like ripe sugar peas we pop in spring. He stood over my body unfolded like a bird and spoke the fresh drops. You look like a handsome boy when the needle sunk in like butter. A pickup truck with headlights caught a bony figure, tent elbows, crouched behind a front gate and shivering. All I remember is the guitar song, your gently worn face, the warmth of the sounds drawing me home.
So yeah, this one has that really strong sense of hearing sounds in it. I think you have mentioned to me, if I remember this correctly, that you are not a kind of writer that will put music on when you write. Um, you prefer writing in silence, or obviously there is no silence, so this kind of sounds of atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you said how influential sounds can be. You spoke about, you know, sound of the car or door slamming or anything like that. But if we talk about music, what kind of music do you listen to in the spare time between writing poems? Mm. I listen to a lot of music that's quite guitar heavy. (laughs) Um, Whether it's kind of like finger picking folk or blues. I think I like music that makes me feel a lot. (laughs) I mean... Maybe everyone does. Um, someone like Big Thief, um, I guess that's quite like band guitar music, but almost poetry in the lyrics, very exploratory of feeling. And the sense in a lot of the music that I listen to with like blues and folk of moving about the world, um, listening and playing. Mm. Well, you have selected for us um, a number of songs to play today, uh, music-wise. This is uh, from your playlist, and you just mentioned Big Thief, uh, so I will play that one, and then um, there will be another one which is um, a bit more bluesy, and maybe I'll start with that one. You're on ESA Radio 89.7 FM. This is Arts Monday, Simple Easies, where we talk about art and environmentalism. And our guest tonight, uh, t- tonight this morning, <laughs> it's, very, it's very dark here, uh, in the studio, is a writer, Lucia Moon, who is reading some of her poems with us. <laughs> I was down to St. James at Farmer. See if my baby there She was stretched out on a long white table So sweet, so cold, so fresh Let her go, let her go, oh God bless her And never find another man like me When I die, you could bury me And Edmund claps you That's back with a twenty dollar hat Put a twenty dollar gold piece in my pocket And let the fellas know I died Standing back Find another man like me
can never build the ether or the grass overgrown. I can never build a river with a mouthful of foam. I can never build a winter with your cold tears of glitter. I've been listening to the red oak and the acorn she cries. Listening to the white birch and the paper she dries. I've been listening to the frogs joke. Listening to the fire smoke. I can never tell you now what I'd often said before. Because promise is a pendulum just swinging at the door. And I'm not saying I'm not jealous. Scared anymore? I'm just saying. I can never build a rainbow or any kind of flower. I can never make a sparrow or a meteor shower. I can never build an earthworm. I can never make the earth turn. I've been listening to the laughing of the fox down the trail. I've been clasping to the listening of the moss to the snail. The shimmer of the beech leaves as the wind does a big sneeze. I can never tell you now. What I'd often said before, because promise is a pendulum just swinging at the door. And I'm not saying I'm not jealous or scared anymore. I'm just saying I could never build the shadow between your cheek and your eyes. Or the warm breath you sigh, and the canopy of lashes, with the softness of ashes. I've been listening to the memory the way that it was, listening to the echo of the wise and because, listening to. Tell me to let go. I could never tell you now what I'd often said before. Because promise is a pendulum just hanging at the door. And I'm not saying I'm not jealous or scared anymore. I'm just saying. Radio 
89.7 FM. This is Art Monday, Simple Easy, streaming to you from the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. My name is Zira, and today I'm joined by poet Lucia Moon, who is sitting across me, and we have been reading uh, some of her poetry this morning and discussing the process behind writing each and her general working methodologies. Lucia, I was recently reading this really interesting article by um, writer Michael Mohamed Ahmed uh, giving advice to aspiring writers. One of the things that was really interesting to me, because I don't think that I ever actively thought about it, he speaks about the importance of content that we take into our bodies as creatives. So one thing is obviously you know, diet, keeping our bodies healthy, but he speaks about keeping our minds healthy by what we take in, in terms of other artistic contents. Mm -hmm. And we just spoke about music, but I'm also wondering, do you take in other art forms in your daily life, such as going to theater or galleries, I don't know, dance performances? What is on your plate when it comes to content? Uh, yeah, I I take in, I think, most art forms, um, definitely a lot of music and visiting gallery shows and reading a lot, films as well. Yeah, I love all the art forms. Mm. When it comes and theatre. Theatre, we have some good theatres in Sydney. Yeah, sorry. yeah. and what, uh, when it comes to films, what's your choice? Honestly, I'm often quite embarrassed what I feel like I have managed to like miss out on seeing some like really seminal films <laughs> because I'm reading all the time mm -hmm. but then yeah I will seek out other kinds of films um my choice I don't know what did I watch recently I actually just watched Girl Interrupted that's quite <laughs> a hectic film um I like foreign language films as well mm -hmm. I like kind of like dreamy playful stuff like Wes Anderson Terence Malick is a director who I really like and that's for the kind of like visual element the photographic element I've actually done a lot of photography and yeah, his films are kind of light-filled in this very aesthetically beautiful way to me. Um, I think the films I like are quite poetic. <laughs> mm. And does photography filter into what comes to page in any way? Like, is there a connection? And, and I'm asking because I have a background in dance and movement, and I know that, you know, when I write, that filters through this sense of body mm. that's always present so I wonder if with other mediums that you work with and uh, photography in this case yeah something photographic maybe about the way you write I think definitely there there's a similarity I mean f even the the poem I just read Gut guitar so bright it's actually kind of if you look at it on the page it's like a series of images um and they're all from different times it's not at all linear they're all drawn from memory mm -hmm. or imagining or f like like pain to, in that poem um and there's something very photographic about that it's less cinematic it's more like these very strong images which i experience in my brain and 
right, which I think, going back to like that idea of riding on the cusp of sleep, it's kind of similar to dreaming in a way. This like mm -hmm. um, interest in images, mm. um, like vignettes. Mm, yeah, mm. Mm. yeah. I actually made a note in connection to one of your poems, and I'm not sure which one it was now that it felt like a series of vignettes, that mm. were like uh, snapshots of something. And then you move to another one, and so it's in a in a really lovely way of just like a flicker of a thing that comes and goes and comes and goes, and series of those kind of dispersed images. Yeah. Um, and so the last poem that we will hear from you today is called "Before Long." Is this one constructed in in any way that's connected to what you were just talking about? Um, I think this one's actually kind of different, not so, I mean, it might, maybe it's photographic in that it's a response to a visual scene in front of me, mm. but it's also very immersive, this one, in this one kind of moment and quite drawn out and long. So yeah, I guess vignette is a good kind of word for it. Mm. Um Let's hear Before Long by Lucia Moon here on East Side Radio, 89.7 FM. The river filled up with smoke today. Long white dragon slid over the strait to belay upon the water. Chug-a-lug of the tugboats potted at the rotting weir and the tea tree burnt Kissed the kayaker, pausing for breath. Some grey interim, cautious change. Bubbling beneath the river's surface, incredulous the seasonal rift gave a polite wave. This way, this way, you find nothing else said, but drink a late brew tea on the fibro shack porch. It's a new moon, but strangely bright, looking across the steel bridge to the orange glow of streetlights, waiting. curious if there is a meta position in this poem where you speak about new moon <laughs> and I don't know whether the moon is waiting or who is waiting but I was thinking about it in terms of your surname being moon and whether <laughs> there is a hidden meta in there right um no I'm not referring to myself in that line but of course this sensation of kind of waiting it's flowing through both the environment and myself as I'm reading it uh, viewing it writing it <laughs> and cautious change 
the phrase you have there, cautious change. I would like to hear a bit more about the sentiment behind it, the relationship to change that it evokes. Mm. I think this poem and that line as well has this kind of sensation of movement but also stillness so it's a very it's almost like a stasis a slow and timid movement and uncertainty particularly with this, the river filling up with smoke mm-hmm. some kind of warning um some feeling of things changing, something coming, maybe the season changing. And you're right, both on the earth, but within myself, my relationships, and uncertainty there. There's a level of uh, trepidation, I guess. Hmm. I might take us out on that note today of not trepidation but uncertainty uh, and change which is inevitable part of life and uncertainty is certainly inevitable part of life nothing out there is certain nor should be in many ways Mm. Um, it's about being open and listening as you said you spoke a lot about the need to listen Mm. and be responsive Lucia, thank you for joining us on Eastside this morning and reading your poetry for us. Thank you so much for having me. So this has been Arts Monday Simpoesis on Eastside Radio 89.7 FM. Our guest on the show today was poet Lucia Moon, reading some of her eco-poetry and discussing the process and methodologies behind crafting them. If you have missed our conversation or a part of it or would like to listen back, you can head to eastsidefm.org slash artsmonday. That's eastsidefm.org slash artsmonday. Coming up next here on Eastside is Pino Scuro with Syncopatico and I will be with you in two weeks' time talking to more artists and writers whose works explore environmental themes and contribute to the dialogue on climate change. Until then, stay Eastside Radio.